We come now at the top of page 12 in your order of service to Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is question and answer 53 concerning the Holy Spirit. Let's read this responsively together. Brothers and sisters, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that He is given also to me, so that through true faith He makes me share in Christ and all His benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. Amen. Let's go now to this very Holy Spirit who opens our hearts and our eyes to see the truth of his word. Let's ask for his help. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us now in grace as we look away from ourselves and into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness, to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and edification of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and in dependence on his Holy Spirit. And all God's people said together, Amen. There's no shortage of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. And that's not just the case in our day. That has been the case since the beginning of his full revelation. All the way back in the book of Acts, we read that Paul found new disciples in the city of Ephesus, and they told him, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. (laughs) You skip ahead into church history, the the confusion continues. A 12th century monk named Joachim of Fiori thought that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were eras of history, and that we were now, since the days of Pentecost, in the era, the age of the Holy Spirit. And because we are in the age of the Holy Spirit, we ought to get away from the harsh words and text of Holy Scripture and rely now on the Spirit to speak directly His revelation to our hearts through visions, through ecstatic experiences, and so forth. 12th century. And in the last 200 years or so, what has caught fire around the world is that Christians must speak in heavenly tongues and receive a second blessing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and other things like that as confirmation that they're saved, heaping a terrible burden on the ordinary Christian like you and me. There is no upper echelon of Christian. There are those who are spiritual because they've received Christ by His Spirit and those who have not. But we confess with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 that when we receive Christ, He grants to us every spiritual blessing. There is no second blessing to look for. He gives it all to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we put some of those more incendiary controversies to the side, and we try to get back to some of the basics. The first is, we worship the Spirit who is God. He is God. When we confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
we are saying that he's truly God with the Father and the Son, whom we have just confessed in that same creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because these are the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Do we understand this fully? No, we don't. But we do marvel and adore this great mystery of the three in one. Because this is the teaching of Holy Scripture. We know this about the Holy Spirit from his names. What do the writers of Scripture call the Holy Spirit? He is called the Spirit of God. And sometimes he is referred to simply as God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, of course, at the very beginning. God speaks. We have God the Father speaking through His Son, the Word. And what is it that brings this powerful Word now into, to, into fruition? It is the Spirit who hovers over the waters of the deep. He's the Spirit of God. Paul shows that the Spirit is one with God in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. When he says, and listen close to this, listen to what you would have to assume about the Holy Spirit for this to be true. Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You are, he's speaking plural to the people of God, to the church. He says, you are God's temple. What does that mean to be God's temple? It has always meant that that is where God himself dwells. And Paul says, God's spirit dwells in you. You are the temple of God, and the one dwelling in, in you is called God and God's Spirit. Think of what his names reveal about his relation to the other persons of the Trinity. He is named not just the Spirit of God, but specifically the Spirit of the Father. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus is warning his disciples that they're going to face hardship as he sends them out to preach the gospel. And they'll be taken before kings and governors. And he says, don't worry about what you have to say when that day comes, because it's not you who will speak, but the Holy Spirit who will speak. And here's how he actually says it. It says, but the spirit of your father will be speaking through you. He is the spirit of the father. And that is the relation of the Holy Spirit to the Father for all eternity. It's not some new thing that's happened now that Jesus has come. No, this is prior to Pentecost. This is prior to Jesus pouring out his Holy Spirit upon his church. And yet he calls the Spirit the Spirit of the Father. Jesus also says, when the Helper comes, as we read in John 14, when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Sorry, that's John 15. That's the next chapter from what we just read earlier. John 15. The how, does, how does he describe this Holy Spirit as the one who proceeds from the Father? The eternal coming from of the, of the Spirit from the Father. Likewise, the Spirit is also shown to have an eternal relation with God the Son. Not just God the Father, but God the Son. He is called specifically the Spirit of Jesus. Acts chapter 16, verse 7. 
The Spirit of Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And the Spirit of the Son, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. He is sent from the Son into this world. But also eternally, He comes from both the Father and the Son. We're, we're trying to get a grasp merely on what Scripture teaches us. These are great mysteries. We always have to recognize that. But we affirm strongly with the teaching of Holy Scripture that the Spirit is God with God the Father and God the Son. We recognize that the Spirit is God also because His divine authority is attributed to Him. Not only do the names of the Spirit show us that He is God, but He is given a divine authority. It is into His name and by His authority that we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28. The one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is by His name and His authority that we receive God's own divine blessing. We'll hear it at the end of this liturgy. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He grants you blessing, divine blessing from God. He is, the, he is one with the Father and the Son. There is no time when this Spirit did not exist. He wasn't created. He's not an angel that got a promotion. He's not, he's not a force. He's a person. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. And he ought to be worshipped. He is, as the Catechism says, eternal God. And so we worship, adore, fear, and give thanks to this Spirit. He's the Spirit who is God. Secondly, He is the Spirit who saves. The Spirit who saves. In the Bible, we find that salvation is the result of the Father's love in sending His Son and the Son's work in taking on flesh and dying for our sins. But these events took place in history, and now, because of the Holy Spirit, have a connection to you. To receive Christ's gift of salvation, you have to be put into union with this Lord Jesus Christ. He has accomplished some things for you. He has earned some things for you. You must be one with Him. Placed into a union with Him. And this, brothers and sisters, is precisely what the Holy Spirit does. To save us. That we might share in all the benefits of Jesus Christ. We read in Acts chapter 2 that when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, He received the Holy Spirit and poured the Spirit out upon His church. The Spirit is the spoils of Jesus' conquest over sin and the devil and hell. And our victorious King has ascended to the throne of heaven. And like any gracious King, once He ascends to the throne, He pours out gifts. And all His gifts now come to the church through the Holy Spirit sent from on high. From the Christ who has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Old Testament saints were saved by this same Spirit, that's true, but they did not have the fullness of the personal presence of God, the Holy Spirit. The church, however, now has been anointed with the sacred oil 
of the Holy Spirit. That's why, as our, our catechism teaches us, we are called Christians because through Christ, the true anointed one, we are also anointed with the Holy Spirit in full measure to receive all of the blessings of Jesus Christ. We receive the Spirit, we are united to Christ, and we are saved. We read in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11, uh, earlier in the service. If you have your Bible still open there, it would be worth looking at again. Because it's really important for us to see the connections that Paul makes and that Paul assumes. These very few verses reveal just wonderful things to us. Verse 9 speaks of the Spirit of God who dwells in you. The Spirit of God who dwells in you. Who is it that dwells in you? It's the Spirit of God. Okay? But this same reality is described in the same verse as having the Spirit of Christ. Who is it that dwells in you? You can answer this in two ways, according to Paul, in this one verse. The Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Paul says that to belong to Christ, You must have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Who Paul then calls in rapid succession the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. I'm belaboring this point on purpose for us to see what this means. He goes on to speak of the same reality repeated two more times in verse 11. He says the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And at the very end, Through the Spirit who dwells in you. Okay then, we get it. The Holy Spirit must dwell in you. It is all about the Spirit of God coming to make His home within. But then in the midst of all of this, as we saw in verse 10, Paul now says the phrase, Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Brothers and sisters, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, Christ Himself is also dwells within. And all that He has accomplished for you belongs to you forever. All that He has done, the saving merits of His incarnation and His perfect obedience and His blood shed on the cross and His powerful resurrection and the glory of His ascension and His being seated at the right hand of God, all of it is for you and it comes to you savingly powerfully and for all eternity because the Holy Spirit unites you to Him. He saves. He's the Spirit who saves. So you can say, if this Holy Spirit dwells within you, you can say not just, Jesus died, but Jesus died for me. Not just that He was raised, but that He's raised from my justification. And not just that he intercedes, but that he intercedes for me in my weakness. And all of this comes to you because the Spirit is not really meant to be the person that we just argue about all the time. He is the Spirit who, with the Father and the Son, saves. Lastly, this evening. He is the Spirit who also remains He remains with you always, as the Catechism teaches us. He will comfort me and remain with me forever, question 53 says. 
those who have true faith, there's that key phrase again that is throughout the catechism, true faith, those who have this true faith certainly possess the Spirit forever. To say that a true believer can totally lose the Holy Spirit and therefore lose their salvation is like saying that Christ will recall the Spirit back up into heaven. In other words, it doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. The Holy Spirit is not just some random spirit hopping around from place to place as though it is now up to you to maintain this blessed union with Jesus Christ. Does that sound like the Holy Spirit of God to you, according to Scripture? It sounds like what demons do. They go from place to place and from vessel to vessel in the Gospels. No, Jesus says, no one will snatch my people out of my hands. And then he says, no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's the same hand. And it is this blessed hand that embraces you for all eternity because the Holy Spirit remains with you forever. However... True believers can and do grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 30, and 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. Listen to what the author of our catechism says. This is Zacharias or Sinus. He says, those who are truly regenerated, that means they've received the power of the Spirit, they've been born again, they may indeed lose many of the Spirit's gifts, But they never lose them totally. For they always retain some, as the example of David fully testifies in Psalm 51, when David says, Restore unto me the joys of thy salvation, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Brothers and sisters, sometimes our experience of God's grace, our experience of that grace, feels very faint. We feel a lack of spiritual uh, power. It's like we're foggy. That, that, uh, that, That feeling of brain fog that we get when we're sick sometimes. We feel that spiritually. Perhaps you know what Scripture teaches about being saved, but you just don't really feel very saved. Scripture calls this... There's many reasons that that this may happen. There's different causes. But when it has to do with... The, uh, the filling, the blessing, or the withholding of the blessing of the Holy Spirit, Scripture calls this the turning away of God's face. Psalm 27, verse 9, for instance, uses that phrase. Um, Psalm 80 says, uh, the psalmist says, Revive us again, O God, by turning your face back towards us. That doesn't mean that he unadopted his people, disinherited them, It means that he is, for one reason or another, perhaps because of sin, but also perhaps because he is just testing the faith of his people. God sometimes turns the face of his Holy Spirit away so that the experience of God's grace might feel faint. And if that feels troubling to you, um, I think it is confirmed by experience, not only by, by passages like this in Scripture, But by experience, we don't always feel on fire for the Lord. And we can't maintain that kind of spiritual life anyway. 
the devil's tactic in this situation is to try to convince you that it is true that God has disinherited you. The devil's tactic is to tell you and to convince you, indeed, you are not saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You never did. You have messed up too much. You don't know enough. The devil tells a lot of people that. You don't know enough about the Bible. How can you possibly claim to say that you're a Christian? He tempts us to believe that if Christ died, it wasn't for you. And when you sense the light of God's face dimmed in your life, that is not the time to give in to the devil's temptation and to begin walking in sin. Because that continues the quenching of the Holy Spirit. And it is in those very times that we need to fan into flame the Holy Spirit by remembering the promises of the gospel. By remembering that prayer has been given to us as a gift purchased to us by Jesus Christ. By remembering that Christ has died for us, for his people. As I've been working with the kids in the catechism on Sunday mornings. Not only to others, but to me also. He's Savior to us. We marshal those promises and arm ourselves with those promises. Whenever we sense the light of the face of God turned away or dimmed. And whenever the devil comes in just such moments to tempt us to abandon ship. In those times, all the more, put on the full armor of God and meditate on the gospel, clinging to that gospel the same way that Jacob clung to God and would not let him go until he would bless him. Because this is how God makes your faith strong. This is how. It is through the trials and tribulations of life. So when this happens... Don't abandon your brothers and sisters in the church, but keep coming. Ask for prayer. Come and worship with the assembly of God's people where the Spirit promises to show up and to bless. Pray things like this. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And expect God to answer that prayer. It is in those times of spiritual darkness that you must remember that you've been baptized into his name, that his promises are for you, and that the Spirit of God will comfort you and will remain with you forever. Loved ones in Christ, this is the Spirit of God. He gets argued about a lot. And in the midst of these arguments, in the midst of all the fog of controversy, we can forget what is true and wonderful about him. He is God. He saves And he will comfort you and remain with you forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, you build your church on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so we pray that you would bless our congregation to grow in their teaching. Assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth. Nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God. Enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have heard the true doctrine proclaimed to us, now by your great blessing, 
may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.